The 1998 Oscars were watched by over 50 million Americans. Hosted by Billy Crystal and headlined by a Best Picture category that saw Titanic win out over Goodwill Hunting and As Good As It Gets, the 70th rendition of the award show felt like a true spectacle. Presenters included A-list standouts like Robert De Niro, Jennifer Lopez, and Madonna, the latter of whom presented the award for Best Original Song, a category won by Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On. Dion would perform the song later that night, but she was not the only nominee in that category to be allotted time for a live performance. Elliot Smith, the Portland-based outcast known for his intimate-sounding lo-fi records, rose to mainstream prominence briefly with his single Miss Misery on the Goodwill Hunting soundtrack. Smith looked strange performing on the stage that evening, with so many titans of Hollywood surrounding him. It was as if he was hiding in plain sight, a line that Phoebe Bridgers would use on her Smith-indebted tribute track Punisher 22 years later. Bridgers has become a juggernaut in the music industry since the release of her first full-length record Stranger in the Alps in 2017. Bridgers' songwriting feels of the moment. Her second full-length, aptly titled Punisher, is a car crash of emotions. It's songs for people who have depression brought on by the illuminated blue screens that are too hard to escape from. Ultimately, Punisher sounds like 2020. And for that, it's an art school album. today not to be confused with sean white but she does look like the flying tomato i am so excited to have her on the show finally i feel like this was someone when the show began almost a year ago they were on my initial list of guests to have on this show and it has taken us far too long to get tina guarino on the show tina how are you doing I'm doing great, Case. Better now that I'm seeing you for the first time in a while. Tina, this is true. I feel like a year ago, I was in your apartment constantly. You kind of were patrolling the hangout station within our friend group, and I no longer leave my apartment, so I no longer see you. So it's nice to see you, too. Yeah, it's nice to see you. It's, it's crazy time to be alive, man. It's not ideal at least for me i don't know how are you holding up with everything we're what seven months into a pandemic have you how are you feeling about it at first it was so great i was like i get this fun little two-week break i'll then i'll be back to school and we'll have amazing summer and then it lasted so long and now there's like so many people like not to be morbid but people are dying and like that sucks i feel like more than me being bored sucks people dying sucks it depends and, um, who you ask. Yeah. I know there are some people that would uh, take the, the death of some people over the boredom of themselves. Uh, I'm glad to see mm. you're maybe not on the side of that. There was that strange thing, because I know the school we went to, you know, they announced in the middle of March, hey, we're taking two weeks off, and then we have spring break. So you're getting three weeks off with the hope that in three weeks, we can come back and hit the ground running and finish off this semester in person and maybe some online. I kind of knew about two weeks in, we're going to be done for a while. And uh, unfortunately, I was correct. One of my least favorite predictions I've ever had. 
Damn, if you didn't say that, rumor has it, we would be in normal school right now. I have been thinking a lot about how the coronavirus is my fault specifically, and that <laughs> I'm probably to blame for a lot of this. I haven't figured out what butterfly effect happened to where it is my fault, but the guilt, the Catholic guilt is lingering like, hey... <laughs> You probably did this. I, Tina, I mean, you're from the Northeast. I'm assuming you're Catholic. Do you have any Catholic guilt on a broad scale? Oh, my gosh. So much of it, Case. You have no idea. I actually talked to our good friend, uh, Jake Clingsmith, about this because we grew up in, like, he grew up 30 minutes away from me. And basically how just grow, I just feel bad if I don't say please and thank you and, you know, making sure that I, others are in front of me I guess is a good thing but like I don't know dude there's so much Catholic guilt it's crazy I not to put him on blast because he was just on the show but my roommate Eddie Weisfeld I will mention him for a second he does not listen to the show and that's okay because I am about to <laughs> trash talk him he does not say bless you when I sneeze and it's I, I'm just gonna say I've noticed it <laughs> I've noticed it, that I'm not exactly getting uh, the Lord's blessing when I achoo, and it is bothering me perhaps more than it should. Am I a bad person for being bothered by that, Tina? You know what? As a as a former Catholic, I think I'm still a Catholic, but we're, you know, we question daily, man. But <laughs> I say, you know what? You're rightfully feeling bad because it just, I don't know, it makes you feel good. It makes you feel loved. When, I, you know. I think this is going to be perhaps the most... Uh, heavy podcast I've done on theology and religion. I feel like yeah. we're going to discuss Phoebe Bridgers, who might be the second coming. I haven't ruled that out just yet. And especially given the content on her record Punisher that we're going to be talking about today, I feel like we're going to be referencing the man upstairs at times, perhaps questioning some things that were drilled into us from an early age, us two proud Roman Catholics that now question it on a daily basis. But before we get to Queen Phoebe Bridgers, Tina, I gotta know a little bit more about you. I once saw a video of you playing, I believe at like a pizza place or a bar maybe, you were in a band playing the song Float On by Modest Mouse. I'd like to know one about that experience and two, uh, was Modest Mouse one of the first bands you were into? How did we get on this musical journey? How do you know about that video? This you is like a normal. I did. Okay. That makes sense because I'm like, <laughs> I don't show it. I, I like, I just show my friends that video. Like, no one knows that video. I, so, I apologize yeah, for I, accidentally nardwaring you. That is my bad. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that's a good verb, nardwaring. <laughs> but yeah, I've been in a couple bands. Um, that one that you're referencing, I was, gosh, I, I like to like 13, 14. Um, and lead singer, um, I was the lead guitar and I had a cast on my hand. So if that tells you anything about my skill level, it, please, please take me very seriously throughout this uh, podcast because I am an artist first and foremost. Naturally, um, you're not one for the, uh, the humorous side of life. If I know Tina well, <laughs> I know she takes herself pretty seriously. Yeah, exactly. And most famously, I was in a band in high school. We were called SBF 100 because there are three gingers and one blonde. That I uh, can I can I get I don't need a sample necessarily of the music, but the the vibe and the aura and perhaps even some of the branding of SPF 100. I need to know a little bit more about this group, Tina. OK, um, 
we would pretty much strictly play at my school for school events. <laughs> so that was the number one thing. We were not like getting gigs. We were like <laughs> performing at my school. Um, we also didn't play with our shoes on. We would just play with socks. I don't know how it started. Um, and also one of my best friends to this day still, she played the bass for us. So sometimes we'll reminisce on it. We played a couple of highly suspect songs. I, yeah, so <laughs> Lydia, we played by them. Um, yeah, I feel like a, obviously playing in a band where you played almost exclusively shows at your high school, that probably made you very <laughs> cool, didn't it? Oh, I peaked in high school case. <laughs> not even close to being what I was in high school. You saying that you used to not play in shoes just hit me with a semi truck of a memory where I used to go watch former guest of the show, Justin Blanner. He had a band in high school and I used to go watch his band play. And we kind of talked about it on that show. I don't think he realizes the dramatic impact that watching his band play had on my life because his band used to play in the back of this arcade. And it was kind of this group of people that went to my high school that I wanted to be friends with, but wasn't really friends with them yet. I knew they would all go. So I used to have, and this is like my sophomore year of high school, full-blown panic attacks for hours at a time before I used to go see his band because I was so scared of hanging out with all of these people. And part of what made me go like, hey, um, I need to not do this. I need to be a more fully formed human was seeing his band and then having fun while I was there and going, there's no reason to worry this much because I used to go see his band play and they were a lot of fun. But the no shoes part of this was I remember watching his set once his band finishes. They, you know, had this really good set. Justin's a tremendous musician. I recommend you check out his band, Paul Stretch. After his band played, this group of kids who none of us knew went on stage totally barefoot, like not even with socks, just totally barefoot. And I remember them doing the sloppiest cover I've ever heard of Green Day's When I Come Around. And there has <laughs> never been a single thing that has killed a vibe more than watching that band play that bad cover of what is such a great song. So I guess I have to know, Tina, your was was the peak of your musicianship was that the video of float on that i've seen was there there was there ever a time on stage where something went catastrophically wrong oh my gosh yeah um so the the short life that my band in high school had um because it was like the end of junior year to like the middle of senior year um it, we were playing a show at our school again and no one showed up other than me and I like had to go up there by myself and do it and it was like so awkward and like silent during the parts well, hold I don't on. Expl explain this there was there was no one in the crowd were you guys just playing to nobody no I mean like no one else in the band showed up oh my goodness <laughs> So this became a, a one-woman show, essentially. Yes, I was like, I, I guess I'll still go up. Like. <laughs> the show must go on. These are paying customers. Exactly. <laughs> These are people's parents that came to see this show. They came to see a show, and I'm going to give it to them. Oh, <laughs> is that what broke up the band, or did you guys trudge on after that? Tragically, that was the last performance with our band's name on it was just me. I pulled up, uh, what is it, Panic at the Disco? Had to do it to him. Had to do it to him. 
Oh, Tina, that is absolutely terrific. The other thing that you mentioned so early on in the show is that you were at one point playing guitar with a cast on. I've known you for three years. I think you've been injured 100% of the time that I've known you. Just briefly, I don't want to violate any HIPAA laws. I don't want to get anyone in trouble. But if we could get a brief synopsis of maybe your medical history and the amount of broken bones you've had. Okay, so first and foremost, I want to start this off with a question, like an answer to a question that many ER doctors would ask me is, no, my parents didn't abuse me growing up. They did not hit me. I was just stupid and got hurt all the time. And I had a vitamin D deficiency, which I found out that makes your bones brittle. Bones brittle. Bones brittle. Yeah, so, so basically by the time in high school, I stopped counting how many casts I had. I had over 30 casts. I had broken my bones that many times. That is insane as someone that has never broken a bone. I have very strong bones, Tina. You would be amazed at just how <laughs> yeah. just how healthy uh, all, all my whole body is, really. But uh, I, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm curious because I know you're someone that, you know, likes to shred a little bit. I think we both follow Toy Machine Skateboards on Instagram. How many of those injuries were uh, skateboarding or, because you're from the Northeast, snowboarding related? A good majority of them. I was... Also, just like I had no fear at that age, I think because I snowboarded and skateboarded, like I just had no sense frame of reference for that stuff. So I would like throw my body off shit. Could we curse? Yeah, Tina, you could say whatever you want. Go nuts. Yes. Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I would just, I don't know. I, I would just, I, I, whatever. I would think I have a high pain tolerance too. So half the time I broke something, I didn't know it was broken until like it wouldn't heal. So this I would, is, like, go uh, in and get a cast. It's interesting. We like the same stuff. We like skateboarding. We like Phoebe Bridgers. I think we're, we're a good, uh, a solid bond of friendship. I am someone that is constantly in fear and has a very low pain tolerance. I just recently had to get a tetanus shot and my flu shot, and I did not handle those well. So I, I, the idea of breaking a bone seems so chaotic and destructive to me. Yeah, what I will say is I would rather break a bone any day than like tear a ligament or like tear something. That hurts way more. Have you I, have you torn stuff? Yeah, my most recent injury was my hand and I tore all the ligaments in my hand throwing the baby doll. Do you remember that? I vaguely I remember the injury. I don't know how it happened and I know our listeners <laughs> don't know what you mean when you say I tore the ligaments ligaments in my hand throwing the baby doll. I do need <laughs> clarification there. So it was during a sketch show cuz just like Case here, I'm a comedy major as well. I love the goofs, I love the spoofs. Um and so I was for a sketch on stage, I threw a baby doll like a softball and I threw it so hard that I just tore I dislocated my thumb and by doing so, it tore all the ligaments in my hand. Well, you're nothing if not an athlete in top peak physical condition. So I, I'm sorry you had a brief setback there. I am curious, discussing the world of sports and action sports specifically, because skateboarding is in the Olympics now, so it is a sport. Uh, yes. we've, we've talked on this show a lot. I know uh, Tom Higgins and I had an entire episode dedicated to the music of skateboarding and how it maybe influenced our taste. Was that a thing for you? Did you get into certain bands or artists directly through skateboarding? Yes, the girl and chocolate video, Pretty Sweet, was my favorite video growing up. And, like, 
oh my gosh, such so many songs on like Gold Rush, Death Cab for Cutie was on there. And I remember listening to that and being like, oh my gosh, this is insane. And I still listen to that song. It's so good. And 100% the rest of the videos too, like influenced my music taste so much. A lot of punk stuff. Yeah, this is a, a soundtrack that I think I underrated. I'm looking at it right now. Um, Elijah Burl skates to Bad Brains and Suicidal Tendencies. There is uh, Jesus Fernandez and Chico Brennan skate to the Gypsy Kings cover of Hotel California, which I implore any of my listeners, if they have not heard, a Spanish version of Hotel California by the band the Gypsy Kings, a band my father was playing in our house for me at a very young age, well-versed with the Gypsy Kings. I would highly recommend that. And also, Mike Moe skated to fits of the tantrums money grabber and i stand by the fact that i think that is a super good song so you're right tina there's a ton of good stuff and pretty sweet on top of it being what i would call a sick ass skate video tina the other thing i wanted to know as we kind of bridge the gap here into phoebe bridgers do you remember the first time that you heard her what was your introduction to the woman that is now ruining our lives <laughs> very well put um it had to I was thinking about this earlier and it just, it had to be my good friend, Andrew in high school. He had to play it in the car or something. Yeah. And just, I remember listening to it and just being like, Oh, this is sad. <laughs> this is really sad, but I love it. And I'm not going to stop listening to it. Go on Phoebe. Continue. I, I was kind of wondering off the top, between the album we're discussing, Punisher, and her prior full-length release, Stranger in the Alps, I look at Stranger as a much sadder record. Am I off-base in saying that? Have I just lost touch with my emotions completely, or would you back that up? I would actually back that up, too. I think the first album especially is more, like, folky as well, and it has way more slower-paced songs, which make the sadness feel more apparent than fast-paced songs which even though her upbeat songs are heart-wrenching as well <laughs> so it's not like there's any difference but yeah I think so yeah my introduction to Phoebe was directly through the band Spanish love songs uh English-speaking band not like the Gypsy Kings who speak Spanish but the English-speaking band Spanish love songs they did a cover of the song Funeral and I was blown away by it because I, I didn't realize it was a cover at first. And I was like, oh, my God, these are the greatest songwriters in music right now. <laughs> like, actually, they're pretty good. But Phoebe Bridgers might have an edge on them. But my connection with Phoebe was not immediate because I went from what is essentially a punk version of Funeral to what is on the album, which is this very slow, drawn out, really somber, uh, maudlin version of Funeral. And I was like, well, that's not it's n I like the other version better. And because of that, I kind of shelved Phoebe for a really long time. Didn't give her a ton of mind. Wasn't really interested in Boy Genius or Better Oblivion Community Center. It was all around that time where it's like, yeah, I mean, she seems cool, but like, I'm not really into her music. And then around a year ago, I actually looked at my Spotify playlist today that I keep kind of by month. And it was October of 2018 or 2019, rather, where I saw an influx of Phoebe Bridgers enter the playlist. And I don't know 
what horrible thing I must have been going through at this time last year. Luckily, I don't remember it, so it couldn't have been that bad. But all of a sudden, you had motion sickness and funeral and Scott Street and whatever else is on that Stranger in the Alps album. That all was incredibly comforting to me at this time last year. The other... Uh, introduction that I had to Phoebe Bridgers was she does the backing vocals in a Joyce Manor song off of their album Cody the song Do You Really Want to Not Get Better a minute long acoustic little fun track are you familiar with Joyce Manor I know we just talked about them on the show Yes, didn't Sam do that with you? Sam Sturman's did do the episode. It was the yeah. biggest and most important moment of my life, <laughs> sitting down on a Zoom call with Sam Sturman's, trying not to embarrass myself in front of him. When I heard the news, I was head over heels for you, Case. But yeah, I love Joyce Manor. <laughs> I think a lot of my history with Sam Sturman's pontificating about his greatness has happened in your apartment. I know specifically <laughs> former guest of the show, Allison Cochran, had her birthday party at your apartment last year. I was a pretty early exit. That maybe wasn't my seed that night. And uh, I just remember thinking like, well, I got to stay until Sam Sturvance gets here. I mean, I got to I got to see Sam. And then <laughs> Sam took a long time to get there. And I ended up heading out before I could see him. And right as I got to the Sheridan Red Line stop, and you know that train stop well, I get a text from somebody that says, Sam Sturvance just got here. And I'm alone on the Sheridan Red Line stop. And I let out a hearty, Fuck! That's heartbreaking. I got him on the podcast, though, so it's all worth it, Tina. Uh, uh, for the horridness of 2020, I got Sam Sturbins on the podcast, and I got to listen to a new Phoebe Bridgers album, the album Punisher, which was released on June 18th, 2020. The interesting thing about this album is that we have seen it span through three different life cycles. We saw the first single, Garden Song, being released in February of 2020, so a pre-COVID in America, uh, pre-COVID in America world, really, and then we saw Kyoto released on April 9th as the second single. That point, COVID's very new. We're very uncomfortable. We're afraid to go to the grocery store. We don't know what's going to happen. And then the album was released. It was slated for June 19th originally. Phoebe moved the album release date up a week. But at that point, we were in what I will politely call racial turmoil. And it was uh, a new issue to tackle in the midst of a pandemic. And now we have this fall season where the album is still as as prevalent and as crushing as it was upon release date. But Tina, I wanted to ask you right before we break down the album track by track, what were you doing in late February when we still had some sense of freedom, Tina? What was going on in your life? Gosh, hanging with the homies, man. <laughs> doing it. I don't, I don't know. I was still doing shows and I was interning at two different places. And oh gosh, it's so crazy to think about that because I was truly doing so much and now I truly am doing nothing. I noticed you were an easy date to book on this show. Tina was like, I'm available. <laughs> just talk to me. Just whatever you want. So, uh, you know, it's a process. We're all making it through. I'm glad that you've made it through to talk to me here. And I'm glad that we have Punisher to talk about 11 songs in 40 minutes. And after an instrumental open, we hit Garden Song, which was the first single on the album. Tina, do you remember listening to this when it came out, when it was released as a single? 
Yeah, I loved it because it's been a while since Phoebe's released really anything of like her solo work. And so it was really interesting to hear her new like, because this song is more of a technological song compared to her last album. So it was interesting to see how her sound was going to kind of evolve into the new album. I completely agree with that. It was something that kind of caught me by surprise when I heard it for the first time, just not necessarily the sound I was anticipating from Phoebe Bridgers. And I will say that this song kind of had to grow on me. It was a little bit just not what I was expecting. And part of that is what I would call the anti-chorus in this song, where normally you expect these songs to to build and crescendo in some sort of way with a repeatable, catchy hook. I think this song kind of takes from Taylor Swift's Look What You Made Me Do, where the chorus actually uh, sort of deconstructs and devolves to an extent, and that's a trend that I saw happening in a lot of pop music a few years ago, and I wasn't really into it. I will say that I think Phoebe does probably the best version of it I've seen, but is this something you've noticed at all? That's funny you say that, because that's my least favorite Taylor Swift song by, like, so much. I hate that song, and I hadn't even, like, thought of it in that way. That's funny. But, yeah, I, I do find it funny because Phoebe writes such good like catchy melodies especially in choruses simple stuff repeating the whole time and so for this song to kind of go down a non-linear path this was a cool thing to hear for sure I gotta ask real quick and I'm gonna put you on the spot this is a tough question Tina but I do bring the heat top three Taylor Swift songs oh okay um Allison is gonna roast me for this if Okay. Look, no, um, no pressure. I do have a, I do have a list. If you would like to hear mine first, I would like to hear yours first. Okay, and I, and I will say these are not in any particular order. But if I'm going to make the essential Taylor Swift playlist, it can't be without the title track "Lover." I think that song was brilliant and a step in the right direction for her career. Gotta have Shake It Off. I think that song is super fun. I like that era of Taylor Swift. I think that music video is very charming. And if we're going to talk about what I think is the essential Taylor Swift song of all time, we are talking about, and I want to make sure that I get the right title of the song, we are talking about You Belong With Me, which I think might be the greatest pop song of the 21st century. Wow, that's a good list. And, and what I will say is Shake It Off was going to be what I said first. Because <laughs> that song goes so hard. Have you you can't not be the, dancing. Uh, have you heard the Screaming Females cover of Shake It Off? No. Uh, Tina, I would recommend that. I, think I didn't that know they is, did one. Yeah, I, that, is, that is on Spotify, I believe. I would highly recommend that. Hell yeah. And, okay, so my other two had to be Tim McGraw. Hmm. And Love Story, probably. Love Story would would be in my top five. I I will say that if we were building the essential Taylor Swift playlist, if we were building the essential Phoebe Bridgers playlist, track two, Kyoto, the second single on the album, would be at the top of my list. My favorite 
Phoebe's ever released. I, I think the world of this song, and I'm curious, I, I sort of see your face shifting and morphing a little bit, like maybe you're intrigued by that opinion. Tina, what do you think of this song? I will say, I wrote down, I wrote some notes, some talking points in case I wanted to point back to them, but I said, number one, it's so fucking fun and catchy. It is literally has me dancing. And especially because she, she's singing like, I want to kill you <laughs> if you don't be me. And I'm like, she could be saying anything right now and I would still be dancing. It's real catchy. And they're like piano in the beginning. I think it's in like a toy piano, one of those things. Because they, she did the diary of a song for New York Times. Yes, there's a, there's so much Phoebe Bridgers content out there right now. We'll talk about that a little bit more as we go along. But yes, I believe it was a toy piano used to capture that sound. It's just I don't know. I just really love the instrumental for it. The song itself, like the words are amazing, but the instrumental just gets me every time. It's so good. Yeah, this is the type of sound that I would like to see Phoebe run towards a little bit, a little bit more upbeat. I think the horns add a ton to this song. I I am kind of hoping in the future her her music includes this more upbeat sound. I think she's someone that can get a little bit bogged down with your five-minute ballads that are very pretty, and she does them incredibly well, but I think this song is a little bit more accessible. Honestly, it's it's one of my three favorite songs I've heard all year. I think this is as good as it gets for 2020. And I was I was curious to kind of know the the foundation of this song. And in an interview with The New Yorker, Bridgers talked about how a lot of the song is about her complex relationship with her father, where she said, and I quote, I feel so much fucking empathy and so much fucking anger towards him. It'll always be day to day. Are we talking? Are we not talking? What's the vibe? And quote, and I'm curious, Tina, without maybe prying too much in your life, because I don't know what your relationship is like with your parents, but do you find yourself having maybe sort of these uneasy relationships just in your life or on a day to day basis, you really don't know what's coming next? Yeah, I feel like with some people, you know, especially with family, it's always difficult, especially during quarantine is difficult because you're kind of spending all the time around them. And, you know. Sometimes you can just get on each other's nerves, but I feel like I can't really relate to especially the degree and level that Phoebe talks about in this song. I read a little bit about it too, and it's, Jesus, it's so awful. And like, I'm so very fortunate that, you know, I have loving and caring parents that will be there for me whenever I need it. And I know Phoebe talked about this in a couple other songs off the album, but just the story about her dad, it's just so tragic and I don't know. It just gives a little bit more context behind the person that she is and the types of songs that she writes, I think. I think the context of Phoebe Bridgers would be incomplete if we weren't also discussing Elliot Smith and the title track Punisher. I'm curious, do you have any sort of relationship with Elliot Smith's music yourself? Um, so my favorite movie is, well, number one, Surf's Up, but number two, like my favorite movie is Good Will Hunting and the song when like during the break, (laughs) that's an Elliot Smith song. I don't know the name, but it's in that soundtrack. And I remember hearing it and going to look it up and being like, oh, this is good. And then like never thinking about Elliot Smith again. And then I met you and you love Elliot Smith, if I'm not mistaken. 
I I really like Elliot Smith. I think there's something about me. People project my fandom of Elliot Smith onto me, and it's never entirely accurate. I think he's incredible. But I have been approached by, honestly, got a few different people being like, well, you love Elliot Smith, right? I'm like, I don't know how you know this information. <laughs> like, it's not, he's not an artist I really wear on my sleeve. And I will also say the song you're thinking of is Miss Misery, if I'm not mistaken. <gasps> yes, yes. <laughs> Yeah, Elliot is just, I find him to be an incredibly intriguing artist. He's hes a guy where I really have to be in the mood to listen to Elliot Smith. I don't necessarily associate his mood with maybe overwhelming depression like a lot of people do. I can listen to Elliot Smith songs and feel happy, but he's an incredibly intriguing musician. Phoebe Bridger's obsessed with him. I think the song Punisher, I know the song Punisher is is kind of reflecting on her fandom of him and had Elliot Smith lived longer than he had, they would have surely crossed paths and I think they would have been able to create magic. I will move on from Punisher unless you have anything else to say and I think you can stop me if uh, I do. If, oh, please go ahead then. I looked into kind of the meaning of Punisher and like what it kind of means. And she was like, a Punisher is like a fan that goes up to her favorite artist and just talks too much and like says, you know, this one song from this really deep album. And like, they're like, dude, like get away from me. She says that like, if, if she ever met Elliot, like she would be a Punisher. And I think it's so cool. Like that's the title track of the album too. Kind of like, I don't know. I feel like the whole album's kind of for Elliot Smith in a way, kind of her homage as a super crazy mega fan. Well, Tina, I got to ask then, you know, I think there's a an element of my simp nature towards Phoebe Bridgers on display in this show. But regardless of who I'm simping for, I have to ask you, who are you going to punish if you're in the right opportunity? Sort of your dream celebrity run in. Oh, my gosh. OK, I don't really listen to a lot of her music, but I think this is like fair to say. But if I ever met Beyonce, that would be nuts. <laughs> I just be like, dude, you know Jay-Z. I really respect the idea that you are meeting Beyonce to tell her about Jay-Z. I, as someone that is not necessarily the biggest Beyonce fan, and I take a beating for that opinion, but I think Jay-Z's rap career is, he's the best. But once he met Beyonce, his career like his quality went down and she's the variable it's her fault so i'm not crazy about beyonce for that reason but it would be crazy if you met beyonce <laughs> it's like i do think she knows because that guy's big he's a big rapper <laughs> When we talk about, uh, you know, obviously had Elliot Smith and Phoebe Bridgers work together, it would have been amazing. Phoebe Bridgers is currently working with an artist named Christian Lee Hudson. He shares co-writing credit with both Phoebe and Connor Oberst on the song Halloween, which is right around the corner as we're recording this. I am curious, have you heard the Christian Lee Hudson album Beginners that Phoebe Bridgers produced? Of course I have. It's so good. <laughs> Yeah, so Christian Lee Hudson was, you know, every once in a while, I have an artist that I'm ahead of the curve on. I, I have proudly talked about how I was the first person I knew that listened to the band Beach Bunny, and I saw Beach Bunny before anybody else did. They're my band. I It didn't take a genius to figure out they were going to be successful, but I did champion them before most people I know. I saw Christian Lee Hudson open for Julia Jacklin last year. I did not know who Christian Lee Hudson was. He came out on stage in a sweater vest with an acoustic guitar and sat in a swivel chair like Kurt Cobain at Nirvana's Unplugged. And I was like, oh, well, this is going to be long. I can just tell. 
Instead, what happened? Christian Lee Hudson put on one of the most entertaining sets I've ever seen. His music blew me away, and in between songs, he was doing an interactive Q&A with the audience. That was one of the most entertaining things I've ever seen. So I not only encourage our listeners to check out Christian Lee Hudson's album, but I think in this song, given what I know about Christian Lee Hudson, I feel his traces all over this song. Halloween it was a high point on the album for me. Oh my gosh, it's so good. Just the idea that like, man, we could be having fun and getting dressed, but here you are ruining everything. Like kind of that that point in a relationship where you are just heart wrenching, especially with the song and how it sounds musically. In a way, it's like we all are in a bad relationship with coronavirus right now. We can't even get dressed up for Halloween anymore. Tina, what was the best Halloween costume you ever had? The best Halloween costume I've ever had. Well, I guess keeping it on theme, I did in fifth grade for our Halloween parade. I dressed up as Sean White. (laughs) That kicks ass. I'm glad that's the answer I got. That's kind of the answer I was hoping for. So I'm really (laughs) happy that you delivered on that front. As we move to the middle portion of Punisher, I'm going to lump three songs together here. We can take our time and go through these. But Chinese Satellite, Moonsong, and Savior Complex, as of now... These are not singles on the album. They're just album tracks. But here is where the album is just ushered with life. These songs are so full, so rich, so pretty. And I really, especially Chinese Satellite, it's just a really strong stretch. And I've said before, I think any album to truly be great needs a three song stretch of like, oh my God, these songs are incredible. And I think we have that here. Oh, completely. For I like my, my favorite songs on the album are Garden Song, Chinese Satellite, and ICU, which is later. Um, but gosh, Chinese Satellite is just so just Phoebe Bridgers, like in the way that it like oh, I'm like flustered, but it's so heart wrenching. And then Phoebe like talks about it, and she's like, the song's about jogging and aliens, and I'm like, that's not it. What? <laughs> That's not what I got when I listened to it, man. Took a two. Phoebe had, and I and I apologize because I don't know where to, to cite it from, but Phoebe says, if I'm being honest, this song is about turning 11 and not getting a letter from Hogwarts, just realizing that nobody is going to save me from my life. Nobody's going Enemy. to wake me up and, and be like, hey, just kidding. Actually, it's a really a lot more special than this, and you're special. No, I'm going to be this way forever. I mean, that is, I, I'm curious if that resonates with you at all, this idea that maybe we're not as special as we thought we were. Oh my gosh, especially as like freshman year of college when I was like on top of the world senior year at high school, fully peaked in high school and came into college and I was like, gosh, what what's happening? Like I thought I was like so special and like I had the best friends and here I am like sitting in my dorm room at 9.30 with the lights off listening to Stranger in the Alps. Like... <laughs> 
there is something like I I did not peak in high school. I'm a much happier person now than I was then. I do sometimes worry because I was so funny in high school. Like I did shit that was really funny and I don't do any of that anymore. I kind of like miss it. Uh, granted, a lot of it was like a need for attention driven by anxiety and depression, which I don't, I, it's not necessarily a constant struggle for me anymore, but I do kind of miss like the old case that for a while, my gimmick was like, I'll take my shirt off. Like, I don't care. I used to be shirtless all the time. Tina, I'm afraid to take my shirt off now. I don't like looking at myself in the mirror. It's like, I don't know. Gibby. I, I had real Gibby energy, Tina, and I quite honestly still do. But just it's besides the point. But you're exactly right. Like, I was kind of I had I was kind of like Gibby of iCarly fame. And I don't know. It's not that I'm not special or I'm not not special. But I feel like I used to be much funnier, which is greatly concerning given the career path I've gone down. <laughs> yeah, it seems like uh, you should work on that, man. <laughs> As for Moonsong and Savior Complex, these are sort of songs that complement one another. Uh, I think Moonsong is incredibly interesting, if only for the line, uh, you, could, you couldn't have stuck your tongue down the throat of somebody who loves you more, so I will wait for the next time you want me like a dog with a bird at your door. That is prime Phoebe Bridger songwriting, songwriting. That is a line that really jumped out to me. What do we think about sort of the tandem here of Moonsong and Savior Complex? Gosh, I, I did write this down too. It's kind of like Phoebe does this in a lot of her songs. We're on a first name basis, Phoebe. Um, <laughs> you know, you know Phoebe, right? <laughs> yeah, Phoebe. Come on. Um, she does this in her songs. Where the only way I can describe it is like, if you were to pick these phrases apart, they all work great on their own. And if you were to look at all of them, you wouldn't think they belong in a song together. Yet somehow it works perfectly. Like it itches a scratch on your brain. You know, it, it just makes sense. And these are those two songs where it's just like so poetic and classic Phoebe Bridger songwriting in the most classic. tragic sense of the form. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to ask, because specifically I know with Moonsong, Phoebe did an interview a few weeks before the album came out. I believe it was with Stephen Hyden of Uproxx. I could be wrong, but I think it was Stephen. And they pulled apart... Uh, the line in Moonsong about tears in heaven and how Phoebe Bridgers wasn't necessarily a fan of Eric Clapton as a person or a musician. A bunch of dads on Twitter got very upset and attacked Phoebe Bridgers. And a lot of it felt very misogynistic to me. And like, hey, here's this young woman with a differing opinion. Let me be mean to her. And I'm just curious because I don't have any perspective on this. Is there something uniquely female about Phoebe Bridgers that you're really drawn to? Um, hmm. Well, what I say that I w I do really like about her is how she has this very pretty voice, which is lovely, but like, she's not very crazy feminine as a person. And I think a lot in the music industry, pe like people are pushing femininity as artists, you know, are female and trying to, with all their getups and costumes and it works per perfectly fine for other people. But I think what works so great about Phoebe is just seems like one of your pals, like, they're just a perfectly normal human being that's not too much of one thing and just does her thing. 
Yeah, I think I would be good friends with Phoebe Bridgers if she got the chance to know me. I obviously would go to bat for you, hope to get you in on that inner circle as well. If I meet either Phoebe Bridgers or Beyonce, Tina, I'm coming to bat for you. I, I really like you to get in on that. Uh, oh, thank you. We do move to the third single, I See You, which has been released. It was originally titled I See You with the lettering. It was released in the midst of the early stages of COVID, so it was changed to fully spelled out I See You, and now it seems to kind of flip-flop back and forth. But uh, I love this song. This is a song about Phoebe dating her drummer, breaking up with her drummer, those two hating one another, and then coming back to be friends. I will say I've been in a similar position. I related to this song at a very personal level, and for that, I liked it quite a bit. Ooh, you dated your drummer, too. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. You know, and it was just... It didn't work, and it drove the band down. That's the disappointing part, yeah. Tina. Yeah, it the music you, suffered. You, I mean, Tina, you know, you've been in bands. You know how it yeah. is. <laughs> oh, I know, dude. I know. I'm curious, though, the third single, I felt like it was worthy of being a single. Where do you stand on it? I love this song. This is my favorite song off the whole album. And I didn't know, like, the story behind it with her drummer until I, like, started researching the songs for this and, like, that's so crazy. The story, like, there's and he's still her drummer now. Like, yeah. that's so cool. That that is a level of commitment that I really admire. Of like, hey, we are no longer together, but you are still drumming for me. That is just incredible. I mean, more power to them for having such strong communication skills. I wonder what he must feel like. Well, especially not this year because there's no shows, but playing this like at a concert in front of a bunch of people where you're like, this song's about me. <laughs> He's kind of getting shit on and his mom is getting shit on. I, I I hate when your mom talks. I hate when she opens her mouth. It's so crazy. How you can say so much when you don't know what you're talking about. Look, I've, I've felt a similar sentiment before. I really enjoyed this song upon first listen, and it's only grow, grown with me since. Mm. Imagine how much Phoebe Bridgers much fucking hate this dude's mom to include that lyric in here. Like, <laughs> Jesus. You, did you know mention, what? I don't like her either. No, she sucks. I don't like she her. Sucks. No, yeah, she sucks. she sucks. I will say you mentioned, you know, we're, we're in a year where there's no live performances. Uh, speaking of Stephen Hyden, I will reference his podcast he does with Ian Cohen, the IndieCast. They were talking a few weeks ago about how Phoebe Bridgers seems like the one artist that has exited, or I guess has existed in COVID, where she is now more popular, arguably because of it, than she was at the start. Like, we have seen Phoebe Bridgers rise in popularity on a national level is there any other artist that you can think of that has adapted so well to these environments? Because Phoebe is playing on late night talk shows. She's tweeting up a storm. She's got live streams going on. It just seems like she is is more well-equipped for this than most artists. Gosh, yeah. I don't know about any artists I follow, just other than Phoebe, of course, because she did the, the Red Rock show and the Stephen Colbert show was so good. And maybe, I don't know. I've seen a bunch of Billie Eilish stuff, but... No matter what Billie Eilish does, her fans will fawn over, which rightfully so. I think she's a phenomenal singer. Not my cup of tea particularly, but she's got a great voice on that gal. Uh, You know, she's not doing too bad for herself. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, Phoebe is just in an interesting position where I think she just understands who she is and what she wants to accomplish. And I think it's great seeing her execute that. And as we move into the latter stages of the album with Graceland 2. So she picks up the 
song on the album because I want an entire record of twangy country Phoebe Bridgers. I am so in love with this song, Tina, but I know you're one of these city slicker coastly elitists. I don't know if this if this resonated with you at all. I will say it was one of on my latter half of the album. But at the crazy thing that I, I noticed about it immediately the first time listening to it ever, the like slight like 30 second intro, I was like, this sounds like a Taylor Swift song. <laughs> like the old Taylor Swift, like <laughs> Tim McGraw era Taylor Swift. Tim McGraw era. Yeah. I, I do want to know, because there's a line in the song where Phoebe essentially is pontificating about the idea of if songs could come true. And obviously we know, to quote Pat the Bunny, if singing changed anything, they'd make it illegal. But I I do want to know your thoughts on the personification of of if songs could come true. Do you find yourself maybe latching on to the hope of music that things will change in a more positive, progressive direction? Do you not really put any stake into the music you're listening to? I realize that's a broad question, but I just kind of want to know your thoughts on that line, the idea of believing that songs could come true. I think that has its place, you know? But, like, personally, when I listen to music, it sort of is the first, at least uh, the first couple listens, I'm just kind of taking it in. I kind of do this with movies too, where like you could be like, oh, remember last scene when this happened? I'm like, I'll be honest, I haven't even heard words yet. (laughs) I like, you know, like I don't realize that these songs are singing about things until I take a second to like center myself. And I think that has more to do with my attention span being the size of a peanut. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's nice to have a hope you know, that things can come true and happen and be better. On that note, the final song on the album, uh, I Know the End, the fourth single, uh, to use Phoebe Bridger's verbiage, I will gesture at the entire world. In a very real sense, Tina, how are you doing it? Do you feel like this song is at all comforting or concerning? I think it's a little bit of both, Yeah. <laughs> It's I just love this song so much because like it perfectly closes the album. It takes stuff from DVD menu, the like instrumental opener towards the last part where they're screaming on the outro, like melodies from that. So it's just the perfect outro to the whole album in my eyes. It's the longest one, too, which makes sense that the first track is the shortest one and the last one is the longest one. There is just an incredible monumental build in this song from the slow opening portion to the blood-curling scream at the end. It is everything that you could hope for. It is as apocalyptic as you could want in the year 2020. I think it is a brilliant way to close this album. I know for me, coming into this podcast... I had Punisher as as likely a top five album of the year for me this year in the year 2020. 
upon listening to it for this podcast, man, it's going to be tough to knock that out of my top three. This album yeah. is just so strong. Tina, I don't know if you're someone who uh, has maybe even listened to 10 albums all year, but I'm curious if you had to submit your album of the year up to this point. Is it Punisher? Is it something else? Give me an idea as to what you've been listening to this year. Wow. Um, I've been listening to a lot of swimming in, cir- in circles, too which is circles came out this year. So that'll be that one. But yeah, the, the honestly, this album and circles have to be my top two. I don't know which one goes where, but wow. It, I think it's been a interesting year for music for sure, because a lot of people are delaying projects. And I like, especially that Phoebe like put hers a week before, you know? Yeah. It's whack that people are delaying stuff. That seems to be like your top tier very mainstream artists and I'm not criticizing them for that decision, but I do think it's lame as hell that they're delaying stuff. It's one thing to delay an album in March when you think that, Hey, maybe by June we'll be back at concerts. Like I obviously understand that sentiment, but if you're still delaying stuff in 2020, my man, just put that stuff out there. Just let people consume. Yeah. 2020 has been interesting. I think it's been a great year for heavy music. And also there's just a demarcation point where the first half of the year feels like five years ago. So compiling the list, it's like, Oh, that's right. That rap boys album that came out in February. I did really like that. It's just been what, feels like a decade since I've listened to it. So it's, it's all just 2020 in a nutshell. I think Punisher is the perfect soundtrack to this year. And and Tina, before I go, I have just a few more questions for you. One of which is, is once again, very broad, but I'm curious because I know you're very passionate about Phoebe Bridgers as am I. And I'm just curious, what makes you believe in Phoebe Bridgers? Gosh, Well, to the first point that you made that we both are very passionate, I do want to say, I think that is like the main thing in the beginning of our friendship that made us bond. So here's like full circle us doing this podcast together. It's so sick, Tina. Thank you so much for mentioning that. Okay. And your question was again. What what, makes, what, what, what makes you believe in Phoebe Bridgers? I know that's, that's broad. I'm just curious to see if there's anything. Cause I, I do look at her a little bit as a, a beacon of, even if it's a creative hope, it is a beacon of hope. And I, I look at her and I think, well, she's doing all right. Maybe I can do all right. Yeah, I just, I genuinely, with this project more so, her like existential theolism type stuff that I can sort of relate to, no one really is talking about that. And especially with her you know, her framing and her word choice just being the most absurd dark humor in there as well. It just, I don't know. It's its like a glass of cold water when you really need it. it. Sometimes you could put on a Phoebe Bridger song and it just hits the spot. That is the perfect way of describing this album. You did it so much better than I could have. Punisher <laughs> is a cold glass of water when you need it. And the critics agree, mind you, as this was awarded Best New Music in an 8.7 out of 10 by Pitchfork, an A- minus from Consequences of Sound, and a 5 out of 5 from the NME. Tina, I gotta ask you before you go, when we're talking about Phoebe Bridger's Punisher, who needs to hear this album and why? 
You all need to hear this album. And I'll tell you why. Don't you love being sad? Don't you love crying? Don't you love uh, dancing? Don't you love laughing? Don't you love spitting? Don't you love uh, laughing? Don't you love choking? Don't you love um, feeling like you belong somewhere? And don't we all just want to belong somewhere? Tina, where can the people find you on social media? Um, You can find me on social media, all the important ones at least, at, at Tina. Guar, which is the first half of my last name is Guar. Tina, I want to thank you for coming on the Archical Albums podcast. As always, I am on social media on both Twitter and Instagram at underscore Case Low, C-A-S-E-L-O-W-E. The podcast itself can be found on Instagram at Archical Albums. This has been Phoebe Bridger's Punisher. Punisher.